Hey, what is up everybody? It's the AI Wizard Show and the following is my conversation with Connor Shorten where we're gonna be chatting about GANs which are generative adversarial networks. Uh, also, we're gonna talk about deep learning on graphs and why that's both exciting and important uh, as well as uh, different convolutional neural network architectures. And we're also gonna chat about Connor's YouTube channel called Henry AI Labs where he breaks down uh, deep learning papers in a really really interesting and informative manner so if you're uh, interested in like uh, getting better with understanding the theoretical aspects of GANs uh, like uh, different architectures uh, deep learning down videos like definitely check out Connor's YouTube channel also you can find the timestamps to this podcast in the description so if you want to jump to a specific part of the conversation you can do that there and you can also give this podcast a listen uh, wherever you get your podcast, like on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Pocket Cast, Stitcher. Like, I'll leave some of the links in the description, or you can just type uh, the AI Wither Show and find the podcast. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey, what is up, everybody? It's the AI Wither Show, and I have uh, my name is Ivan, I have Connor Shurton here with me, we're ready to chat about a lot of exciting things, so uh, why don't you say hi, introduce yourself a little bit. Alright, uh, my name is Connor Shurton, I'm a PhD student at Ford Atlantic, I'm studying artificial intelligence and trying to make uh, YouTube videos, tutorials on some of the research papers to make it a little maybe easier to understand for somebody who's just looking at a new topic like ResNets or maybe like graphs, deep learning. It's kind of the idea that I'm trying to pursue, so I'm happy to talk to you about this. Yeah, so um, one thing that specifically stood out to me that I would like to like dive right in is GANs, like Generative Adversarial Networks, and you've been like uh, doing a lot of videos about them. Um, I myself like understand, you know, just the basic idea, so I guess my first question would be is, how would you uh, define a GAN? in terms of like what it does and what it is? I think anecdotally, anecdotally it's described well with the example of like the cop and the counterfeiter where the counterfeiter is trying to produce fake money and the cop is either mm -hmm. responding that he accepts the money or this is fake money. But you'd imagine that the game is more like rather than the cop catching him with the fake money and just locking him away and that being mm -hmm. the end of the game. If, if the cop is instead like, you know, here's your feedback for maybe how you could get me next time. That's sort of how I, that's like how I would describe it quickly. But mm -hmm. then I think that once you start getting into studying it, the problems with it, like that framework is nice, but I'd say the problems are sort of different from that. It's things like, um, like catastrophic forgetting and like the continual learning problem and deep learning is like especially pronunciated in the scan framework because the discriminator is trying to learn a decision boundary on the generator and is changing its parameters. And that's something that deep neural networks really struggle to handle well. And then another interesting thing is like how different GAN models handle different target resolutions. Like trying to generate CIFAR 10 32 by 32 images is, mm -hmm. is sort of easy depending on the class you're after. Like airplanes would be easier to do than, than cats or dogs. But then if you try to scale that up to like 512 by 512, I think it's it does seem like computation is mostly what stops you from doing that. But still, it becomes a much harder problem. And so that's sort of something I'm interested in is trying to figure out how to make it easier to generate high resolution images. 
And so I guess I guess but like what's the problem there? Like I would ask myself, I guess, and you. Uh like if you can generate say like 50 by fix by 50 pixel images, like what's the hard part of scaling like the whole thing up to like higher res? I think it's mostly a matter of like it's harder to optimize the generator with the discriminator because there are so many uh, like flaws in the generator's output that will make it easy for the discriminator to classify it. Like sort of like how if you have any image data set and any classifier, it's going to do better with a high resolution input. Like if, if you're just ca classifying like cats versus dogs, if you have high resolution images, it's going to do a better job than low resolution images. So I think it's on the discriminator end that makes it so challenging. But one other idea that could be interesting is to have these multi-resolution models where you have like and, and, and here, like, am I understanding this correctly? That the more uh, pixels the generator the generator like has to uh, well generate, uh, the more the more kind of like ways it has to screw up, and for the discriminator to like figure out that like, hey man, like you did wrong there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just too easy for it, and then the. It would be like if, if when I give my fake money to the cop, the cop is just like, this money's terrible and he doesn't give me anything productive to make better money with. So it's yeah, like... Yeah, just because the money was like so, uh, so like obviously bad, right? Uh, right, right, yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, so that's sort of what's been interesting to me with that. And then I'm interested in seeing this like, one of the big advances in GANs was this idea of putting the self-attention layer like the attention mm -hmm. layer from the machine translation to bring that into the into the intermediate convolutional upsampling layers in the generator. So I think that's another really powerful idea. Mm. And could you extrapolate a bit on what that layer and like what it does and why is it there? Uh, I could explain it well in the context of machine translation, mm -hmm. where you have a, se a sequence of words and then you're encoding it into like a vector. For the mm -hmm. sake, it's like a, it's like an autoencoder where you just take okay. data and then put it in a low dimensional representation such that it can reconstruct the original data. Mm -hmm. So the machine translation it keeps as it processes each word in the sequence, it constructs this vector to be decoded later on. But the idea of attention is like instead of throwing away each intermediate encoding, you have mm -hmm. another vector which knows which which keeps all the intermediate encoding states and looks at like different series of the encoding, if that makes sense. Uh, well, but, like, but, but like, what are we uh, trying to like encode in the context of GANs? Like, what are we trying to do with that? Oh, in the context of GANs. Yeah, that's, that's kind of why I've been interested in it. Is like, this is also how they do, I don't think it's the state of the art, but they've shown how this works for like image captioning too. Like if you give me mm -hmm. an image and I tell you like, uh, the guy sitting on the park or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it just works on its own internal representations. But hmm. I, anyway, that's something I'd have to. Do okay, I, I guess that's a, a little bit of like uh, deeper concepts of what's going on there. So so would would ha would have to like uh, spend more time there. Uh, but like when it comes to GANs, like what are the applications in like the real world uh, that kind of excite you, that make you want to like work with them and study them and uh, eventually like share the info on your channel? Well, I think uh, generally it's I think it's apparent that it's going to have a big impact on like mm -hmm. our art and our sort of all sorts of the media that we're creating, like mm -hmm. things like television and you know like these animations. 
mm-hmm. I think I think it won't be long before it can work on videos as well because I've seen like the UC Berkeley paper, the Everybody Dance Now paper. That's that's pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. so I think if you give Gans like maybe like ten years even, that it wouldn't be like unreasonable to generate like an episode of a TV show. That's how far mm. I think it'll come along, especially because it's in tangent with these other things like the G- OpenAI GPT-2 and then like, mm-hmm. I don't know the company, I think it's called like Liarbird, but they'll take they'll take your text and they'll do text-to-speech, but they can do it in like your voice. Mm. So I think all these things coming together is going to be pretty exciting and that's, I guess that's what's drawn me towards GANs in the ri- mm-hmm. originally. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, but well, yeah, I heard about that uh, that thing that can uh, reproduce your voice. And and now as you're kind of like uh, becoming a little bit like over like OG, you know, like getting experience with uh, Gans. Like, what uh, are those things that excited you before maybe shift somewhere, or are they like get proven with time? Like, what what gets you excited currently about Gans? Well, I've sort of. GANS is actually like studying GANS has led me to be more interested in reinforcement learning because mm-hmm. I, I suspect that it's the kind of dynamic of the generator in the environment sort of like in a similar way that I would if we were playing like chess against each other and mm-hmm. I you consider you to be my adversary I think that's like sort of the right way to look at GANS right I, I'm not sure but that's sort of where I'm going mm-hmm. with my own research in the future. So uh, you, you kind of like uh, the uh, mechanics of like what's going on with the discriminator, like the cop trying <laughs> to catch catch the criminal, and this kind of <laughs> game that uh, that like keeps going on and on and on. Um, there are like a lot of uh, types of guns, you know. Uh, I've been currently able to just you know, understand understand like the basic idea of what's going on there, but they're like style yeah, guns, they're yeah. like. Uh, deep convolutional GANs. Uh, I've seen videos on your uh, channel. Uh, could you uh, explain a little bit of like what are the like main differences, like or yeah. not differences, but like what are like their unique, you know, uh, ways? Well, they, they well I'd say I would recommend first understanding the deep convolutional GAN because it's mm-hmm. just um, it's just the idea of adding upsampling, like it's just the idea of adding convolutional layers to the GAN framework, which is pretty intuitive, mm-hmm. easy to implement. It's got some other things like uh, like these guidelines of like batch normalization, like leaky rate, like, but it's all like kind mm-hmm. of like black box. You don't really need to wrap your head all the way around all that. Mm-hmm. But the paper also introduces things like um, like the latent space interpolation. Like the GAN will generate like a guy with sunglasses, and you can like control that input vector to change what this guy looks like. And that's mm-hmm. and that's you know taken to a much higher level is style GAN. Style GAN will like take that to the next level and like really blow your mind with what it can do, but. So it introduces that idea. But then what I'd say, in addition to the DC GAN, I'd, I'd learn what the conditional GAN is because this is like how it actually works. Like there are some papers on making GANs work un- unsupervised without labels, but it, it really doesn't work. That's like the Google AI, mm-hmm. like cutting edge stuff to try and make that work. So once you understand like how the class labels work, then mm-hmm. we, okay, so once you understand DC so, games, and, 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 and I might understand kind of like if you want to have again like learn what a guy with sunglasses say look like, you gotta give it a label, yes, kind of like that. This is a guy and he wears sunglasses, and then it'll figure out that like that set of pixels is sunglasses. Or yeah, I don't want to say you have to do that, but it makes it a lot easier if you do it like that. 
uh, and you mean that like that uh, Kalination supervised learning that's capable that's like capable of that is kind of like the Google level right now. Uh, trying to make without, GANs without, totally without, unsupervised. Without. Yeah, if you can yeah, do yeah. GANs without class labels, that's, that would be pretty impressive, especially at high resolutions and with the diversity within the classes. Uh, but but like, what would I mean? What would like an unsupervised GAN like will, would would be like able to do? Would it you know like why would we try to make it unsupervised? I guess is the question here. Uh I think mostly because they have like enormous data sets that are unlabeled. Like, I, mm-hmm. like they have this like, uh, or they're noisy. Like the JFT data set is the biggest one that I know of that is like noisy and somewhat like weakly annotated is how they describe it. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess like you could say that just more data equals better you know, results. But I don't know if I really like that idea. I don't mm-hmm. really think of it in that way. But I, I think in the current state-of-the-art that seems to be the case with more and, data. And, and like ideally that system would be able to just look at a bunch of images and kind of learn not only how how to like generate them but what kind of like the inputs for each for like each generated image are is that like correct like it will learn that that's yeah. the guy wearing yeah. sunglasses and that's how like that's who it is and that's also how to generate one yeah yeah, yeah is, exactly. that, is that kind of like yeah. what what could be the purpose of it uh I guess one question that kind of came to my mind is like we can gener- generate a bunch of images like uh, and that kind of sounds like a useful thing for classifiers for like CNNs that classify things so I guess, I guess. Yeah. can so GANs be used to augment data sets? In my master's thesis research I looked into this a lot like I tried to take the output of the GAN and just you know concatenate it to the data set and make it like double the mm-hmm. size of the data set. But that actually doesn't work. And also mm. doing things like uh, trying to pre-train it. Pre-training kind of works, but it's unclear. Like, So I got pre-training. I was pre-training with the GAN and the real data, sort of like an initialization mm-hmm. scheme, and then refining it on the real data only. But when I switched it from like a VGG-style network to like a ResNet or a DenseNet, it no longer was working. So I, I can't say that this generalizes it. And I, I, So I have yet to find a way that you can use... GAN data for data augmentation, but I'm, I'm I think it will be figured out. But I personally have tried and failed. <laughs> and, and, and when you say fail, you mean like you learn some weights with the GAN and then uh, try to like use those weights to then train the classifier on them? Oh no, no, that's a different idea. That's a good idea. That that actually does work if you have like unsu- if you have no labels. You know that mm-hmm. like that would be like unsupervised feature learning with the GANs. Mm-hmm. But I thought you meant just like. Train again to generate data, and then use that data to build a classifier for your original problem. So that doesn't work. <laughs> the other thing okay. works. So, so, so we can. I mean, I mean, but that's that kind of that could that like work in the future? Maybe uh, like augmenting the data sets. Y- yeah, I've seen it. Oh, oh, of augmenting the data sets. Uh, I think I really don't understand why it doesn't work already, so I can't mm. say that. I have no idea why it, does. it should work. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, but it looks like it should. One more thing to you know figure out for 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 for, 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 for folks like you, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. And maybe me in, in you know in some direction. So I mean, uh, were like there any projects that you built that were using like GANs uh, already that are kind of cool and you'd like to share 
Like, uh, or say, like, generated images or something. Uh, I'm not sure where where it's really going to go. And I don't know if I really think about it all that often. But I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think just generally it'll be like, even things like as innocuous as like your little logo design for like some company, mm -hmm. it could do that. Given like, it's really just like if you give it a ton of data, it'll generate more data. So it's like, you know, have mm -hmm. at it, whatever you think that might be useful for. But it's an interesting problem to see, at least. And, and, and like, uh, and like for now, we've been like talking about what GANs like can do. Uh, and we've talked about that they aren't like really for now working to generate data. Uh, are there like any other domains where GANs are kind of like failing to maybe do their job where we maybe would be wanting, wanting like them to? I think the most exciting one is uh, like structuring data as graphs and then mm -hmm. use, using the GANs on the graphs to do like chemical mm -hmm. compound synthesis. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I've seen, like I'm familiar with this idea, but it's not something that I could like get into the details of and explain exactly. I've just mm -hmm. recently been looking at things like deep walk and like graph convolutional networks to see mm -hmm. how deep learning operates on the graph domain because it's like these it's, it is pretty interesting though the more i look and, into it and, and and like and like graphs and like this is kind of what and then this question like this is kind of what people used to like fold proteins and that sort of right. thing like with, with chemistry yeah so like that's well, kind of yeah, why yeah, i would wow. be interested in that in the first place okay so what's happening there with the with the alpha fold from DeepMind, the way that I understand it is that mm -hmm. they can use like the graph, the topological uh, structure of it in these like mm -hmm. GCNs and stuff as like the sensing mechanism sort of. It's like how they interpret the uh, like how they interpret the environment in that like you know the classic RL framework where it's like agent sends reward to. Uh, mm -hmm. or like environment sends reward to agent, agent sends action. I think it's just like the way that the agent perceives the environment or something. I'm not really totally sure about how that specifically works. Cause that's probably mm -hmm. like above my level. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just generally interesting the idea of like using topology in your like data analysis because it can give mm -hmm. it more. I, I just like the idea of like, heterogeneous senses so it's like it can have vision language like mm -hmm. speech and then you also combine it like this topological information i just think it's interesting to give like like i think an agi system would have a lot of different like sensing modalities i don't think it would just be like a vision system so like a gan i think that would you would call like intelligent this gan is intelligent i think it can understand other senses i think that's an important component uh, when it, when it comes to like uh, being being able to like learn on graphs or or like in the like in what the domain is that you know especially intelligent in which you're like talking about um, um yeah I mean I mean like in which domain is that is that uh, is that is is the net intelligent you mean like the regular again or the one that's used for or, or like graphs like oh right right. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess it's your depends on your definition of it, like okay. your taxonomy of the difficulty of tasks is how I come to think of it. Like mm -hmm. just intelligence, not like consciousness, just intelligence. Uh, well, 
And, and about like learning graphs, uh, you've mentioned before to me that this is kind of the topic that you've been also getting into. And uh, what were you know the uh, inspiration to like start learning about deep learning on graphs, and what do you think you uh, would like to study with that and then do with that in the future? Well, as I've started to try and make YouTube videos and try to like connect mm -hmm. with and maybe produce something of value. I, it's mm -hmm. sort of interesting to think of these social networks. That's sort of the place that I started being interested in graphs because, like, it's very interesting to see how, like, there are these nodes like Siraj Raval and, like, mm -hmm. um, and, like, Lex Friedman who are, like, mm -hmm. they, they're... It's just, like, the connectivity of the people who follow them and, like, kind of mm -hmm. analyzing these structures is really interesting. And then, so going pa so past that, another thing I've been interested in is these citation networks where it's, like, if I write a research paper and you cite my research paper, there would be an edge from my paper to yours. Mm -hmm. And and they, it's like, you could think of it as like a new way to understand like how science develops, like how the research mm -hmm. is published and like how it all relates to each other, how this like publication network evolves is I think would give us a better sense of the future. Oh, this is, this is, th that sounds like really interesting. I've, I just kind of tried to ima imagine that, but like, uh, <laughs> like the interesting part here is that like this is all data already, like this whole right. interconnected th thing, and you know, like being able to use a neural net to say like wrap its little digital mind, or maybe not a little, uh, around like the whole, uh, the whole you know, the whole you know grid, like whole set of like connections different between like followers and social media and citations in science. Um, do you see, uh, and like, Internet is able to do that, but uh, what kind of, what, what may then come out of that? Like, what could be the potential application of which being able to like wrap its mind on the graphs around like what's going on? Well, I think it'll generally give us a better way to organize these social networks, like things like the Twitter algorithm, how the news feed is organized and, you know, all these platforms have this news feed sort of and they have like uh, suggestions it, like link prediction in like mm -hmm. um, just recommendation engines generally I think is going to be a huge component of how these massive software systems like evolve especially mm -hmm. like with Amazon I think that I, I read this book where it's like the economics of artificial intelligence and he predicts that he thinks that Amazon will be so good at predicting what you want to buy that it'll just ship it to you and you'll just return it mm. and you'll be like, you'll be like, oh, you got this one wrong, but it'll, it'll happen so rarely. And that, that's, what, that's what he predicts in his book. And I, I, think, I thought that was far-fetched, but mm -hmm. I think that the development of graph neural networks is what will power that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And what... Um like, uh, and what are like the things that you are focused on, like working and studying uh, currently? Currently, I'm mostly trying to get a better sense of reinforcement learning. It's something mm -hmm. that I've like, maybe unlike the Richard Sutton book, I maybe made it up to like chapter eight and I'm trying to get through the book because I feel like it's a huge like gap in my knowledge that I'm missing right now to really understand mm -hmm. the whole landscape. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, graph learning though is is new. I feel like, and that's why it's so exciting because it's like, I think at, at the ICML conference they had or ICLR they had like their workshops and graph was the like graph learning thing 
it was just the most interesting to me out of looking like just going through their catalog of what they're you know publishing mm-hmm. so and, say, and, 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 and like uh, by the way like if I uh, before talking to you and I would see a deep learning graphs I, I'd be like uh, okay cool I'll, I'll go and like I'll hang out with convolutional neural nets because they're familiar <laughs> to me. Like, like what did what you know did you- beforehand that made you uh Take a, take a like closer look at the graph uh, learning. I guess I've I've always been interested in the different like data modalities like images, text, speech. But like mm-hmm. I, I got started with machine learning before deep learning, and I think that it's a profound mm-hmm. difference to understand. Like when I first got started, I had a you're predicting the quality of a software based on these hand engineered features. So like somebody is saying like lines of code. Uh, I don't know, like indent blocks, like these kind of things. It's mm-hmm. like describes the software. And then they have things like your, it's not quite the same as that, but like your microarray, your gene expression on your microarray to predict your, uh, like how you're going to react to a drug. So I think just going from mm. hand engineered data to like raw data is really interesting in that it's, Interesting. To actually- and and what do you mean? What do you mean? By, I'm not sure. I understand, understand the transition. And what does it mean to go from uh, engineered data to like raw data? Could you well, just like it? to take the images as an example? It would be like mm-hmm. if instead of just giving my uh, image to my convolutional network, if I like constructed some features, like they have like uh, SIFT and HOG, which are like histogram mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. gradients and stuff like. Be like if I was like, uh, this is the distribution of how the pixels fall. You know, good luck figuring out if it's a cat or a dog mm-hmm. with that. But that would be like <laughs> what that would look like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a funny thing to think about. But, but I mean, they have these wildly clever ideas of constructing features from images. It's not like as mm-hmm. dumb as that to just say that this is me- this, there's like 80, 246 value pixels in the red channel and like you know something like that and, th- and, th- and these are like non deep learning ways to figure out whether it's a cat or a dog right right uh, okay they don't work uh, like terribly mm-hmm. they work pretty well actually mm-hmm. but yeah not as well <laughs> and, and and like uh about the whole like grafting like what and you were like talking about like what got you like interested before that you kind of took a look at the uh, graph le- learning like graphs and like what 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 was it? Uh, well, before I actually even studied machine learning at all, I was pretty interested mm-hmm. in uh, like like routing things like uh, just like you know GIS systems like directions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe that made me really think about things like shortest path algorithms and like mm-hmm. really try to take it apart and like build it and make it run faster. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, that just gave me a familiarity with this, with the adjacency matrices and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the graph neural network, I think, is more interesting than that because it's like the connections and then also features, sort of. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I'd say probably the shortest path algorithms. Like, I think it's useful to have, like, a foundation of computer science. You shouldn't just, like, uh, I don't know. They're kind of tangent. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I I have a foundation in computer science. So I I started in computer science. Yeah, it makes, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Like, uh, 
finding like the shortest route and giving like the best recommendation on Twitter uh, and like it's kind of like the shortest route but it's like the shortest route where you need that piece of like artificial intelligence that will uh, learn like certain patterns of like what tweets you like or what tweets are valuable to you and exactly. the same like with YouTube and yeah it m makes 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 like a lot of sense mm -hmm. and uh, you've also started like I guess You've been writing for a long time on like towards data science, maybe like other places probably. Oh, uh, cool, cool. Yeah, and now you've started uh, your YouTube channel, Henry AI Labs, which is named <laughs> after 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 your dog. I've learned <laughs> that, you know. Uh, just just clearing up the confusion from people who are also going to be like, why is it Henry AI Labs? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, I wanted I mean, to. Really, but yeah. do dogs are awesome, by the way. <laughs> also love dogs. Yeah, they are. I, I don't know. I wanted to. I wanted to build. Like, I, I didn't want to build it around myself because I. I do already have the towards data science thing that I that mm -hmm. I'm pretty, like, interested in doing. I, I try nowadays though. I. I don't try to just like post on towards data science unless I have something that is like I think is worth, like, really high level thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like YouTube is giving me like that daily blogging outlet. Because it just motivates me to get through reading papers if I'm going to produce something mm. and then hopefully get some kind of reward from it. You know, like just a response, I suppose. Yeah. It just helps you like study, I guess, in like, you know, this 2019 era we live in. If I can, if I can give myself more feed, more positive feedback to make myself study, I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I 100% like uh, agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, on, on my channel, I, I don't cover, like, really uh, as much of, like, deep things and, like, s smart things as you are. I'm, like, more about practical application because that's for now what I can do. But, like, I noticed that when I uh, try to reproduce, like, when I try to teach something, like, I learn, I just, I understand that I did not understand the thing as well <laughs> right, beforehand, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... And... and, and how long does it does it take to produce a video? Because you're like uploading like one every like other day or like every day almost. A video for me is a lot easier than an art to, to write an article because I'm mm. so like I get I like worry about my like how the writing reads like is it like mm -hmm. a good narrative you know does it flow all these like things yeah. that like an English major might care about but with a video I just like talk about it I don't really have to worry about the aesthetic of it. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I guess, and, and, and I'm gonna like uh, go a bit, you know, to a different topic. Uh, when you were starting with like deep learning, uh, what were uh, what were like your initial initial like inspirations in the project that you were like building? Have you like jumped straight into? Something with like computer vision and then into Gantz or like what what was like those first steps? Yeah, so so first I did the Andrew Ang course for a, a course in mm -hmm. my college, and so after that I was convinced I could build anything. You know, it's like a, the course is pretty good, I'd say. So then I tried to build like a um, a basketball highlight detector. So you take like a, uh, a full basketball game, and then mm -hmm. you use the computer vision to turn it into a highlight reel. And that proved to be really difficult. <laughs> but I mean, I, 
I tried at it for a while, and I definitely... And, 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 and like, how do you try to do that? Did you try to, like, classify each frame with, like, a convnet or something? Well, I, I tried to break it up into three pieces. So first I tried to do the bounding box detector on mm -hmm. the rim. So it's like, let's just look at the rim. It's like, I, it's like I manually encoded intention into it. Like, rather than letting it figure out intention, I did the bounding box and I said, look here, look at the rim. Like, don't look anywhere mm -hmm. else. And then I just tried to construct a data, a labeled data set of like the balls in the basket versus the balls not in the basket. Mm. And, and with that, you come into like one of the things that kills that more than anything is like false positives because it's a class imbalance data set. And that's mm. and that was a problem. And then in addition to that, it's something that I think I would have an easier time doing now. But back then, I really struggled to figure out, OK, so I have my CNN features. How do I process mm -hmm. this so that an LSTM can read it as a sequence, you know? And then just mm -hmm. constructing the data sets is like a brutal task. It, it really mm -hmm. is, like especially yes. like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, with with basketball and with with video, like there are like so many frames there. Yeah, right. and, and and what and what did you you know uh, went to do then? Like, uh, you know, I I, I guess uh, yeah. Like, what, what what did you like go, do then? I mean, that, with, with, like, like, the after, after that failed, it failed in a pretty spectacular way because I had tried to like go to pitch competitions with it and try to like really push it towards a lot of people. And so when I gave up on it, it was maybe I shouldn't have given up on it, but it, it did kind of die in a spectacular way. So then after that, I just wanted to like really strengthen my understanding of, of the technology so that I, before I jump into another project, I'll have a better sense of the landscape and what's doable and what's not doable. So yeah, that, and that just kind of takes me to where I am now, just trying to just understand it all better before building yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can feel like, like uh, in the end, instead, instead of you know making the system uh, to capture the highlights, you, you'd make like a robot with computer vision that can process multiple frames and it'll make the highlights themselves. <laughs> because when your robot uh, makes robot makes the highlights, you don't have to uh, classify them. The robot the robot knows that. <laughs> so I mean, this is like this is this is like the future of what's going to be happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that I wanted to also to talk chat with you, and this is kind of what I've been like figuring out uh, for myself, because right now with the convnets, I'm kind of at the level where I'm comfortable like building and deploying like traditional convnets, but when it gets when it like comes to the realm of like uh, resnets and inception nets. Uh, I'm kind of getting a little bit confused, like, what should I be tackling first? Like, what are, uh, what are like, the specific advantages of, like, using a ResNet versus, like, an Inception net? Uh, could you, like, uh, give, like, your overview of convolutional arch architectures and what do you think, like, they're, yeah. I mean, firstly, I really need to be making more, vi like, videos around programming, but I would, I use the Keras framework, and I know, like, people I, in my... I, I, I do too, by the way. Like, it's super good. Yeah, people in my research lab like the PyTorch framework, and I'm trying to move towards that, but I love the mm. Keras framework. It does everything that I've so far needed it to do. And even things with the, like, the graph convolutions, you can, you can import the TensorFlow backend, and you just implement your own layers using, like, k.mean, k.subtract, and that works really well. But so... For advanced convolutional architectures, 
I'd start to use the Keras functional API rather like you know how you would be like model equals uh, sequential. You, you, you mean like when you are not just making like model at sequential kind of thing, right. but like, you but like at the end of which layer you have like that little uh, input in brackets and you specify which uh, layer gets which input like that sort of thing. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I understand. Yeah, what you're yeah I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you got me. Yeah, because you can you can implement like skip connections and and the inception like splitting of feeding the same input to different layers mm -hmm. by just being like you know x one equals this layer and then x two equals take x one x three equals take x one as input x four equals take x one as input and then yeah, x five yeah, yeah. take them all as input you know it's yeah, as easy yeah. as that. Uh, I'm gonna say for a second and I'm just gonna say like like that's cool. I was afraid that. I wouldn't be able to do all of that in Keras, but now you're saying that like it's possible. I just got a second uh, charge of like encouragement to go and try to implement uh, some of that in Keras. But before I, I do, uh, could you continue uh, talking about what's going on with the architectures? Like from a theoretical perspective or like how you would build it from the theoretical aspect of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess yeah, from the theoretical, because... The building it is kind of like the whole different animal. So let's yeah, go yeah, a bit I shouldn't even say what works for what. You know. a, like a theoretical explanation would be if I said that they theorize that with the skip connections on the ResNet, you don't have to learn identity mappings theoretically and that you're just building on features through that mechanism. But like, mm -hmm. just to describe it like empirically, I don't even know why I said theoretically, but like they are using these designs to outperform the standard way of just being like layer, 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 layer. Mm -hmm. You know, like <laughs> they have things yeah, like... Yeah, and then you have like, like a yeah. one layer like connected to this guy, like not not just sequential, but kind of like this yeah. weird, you know, thing is. Yeah, so I mean like rather than try to give some explanation of it, I'll just leave it at empirically, this is what's working. Like doing the skipping okay. and all that, is, that's what seems to work. The neural, I, I recently posted a video and just, I just read the, like, really got into the neural architecture search paper by, like, Kwok Lee. Mm -hmm. That paper is crazy. I, it, like, in addition, they search for, like, activation functions. They search for augment, data augmentations and, um, and also optimizers. But the designing the layer is, it's amazing, really. I mean, it, it, it would be hard to replicate because they have, like, 500 GPUs that they run for four days, but... Mm -hmm you could still like set up the search space yourself and then just do a random search. You're not going to... And when you mean like designing a layer, you mean like picking out the amount of convolutional filters or like uh, in dense layers, like the amount of neurons? No, like this, this would be like a hyperparameter. That's like on the surface level, but they're really inside okay. the network. Like they're taking apart what it means to be a layer and then they're discretizing the ways that you can design a layer and then they apply a search algorithm. Like you could use evolutionary search to... Mm -hmm. to like search through the discrete space of what a layer really is mm -hmm. made of yeah by the way I've seen that video but I didn't like uh, go deep into thinking like what's what's like really going on with the search um, but for instance uh, as a like rule of thumb say uh, if I wanted to classify an object right now and say like a Pen, uh, would I be better off, like, and from like purely, you know, rule of thumb or something, would I be better off like going with an inception net right now or like a resnet or uh, something else? Like, what I guess works now 
best my question is um well i think for something like a pen you could probably any whichever architecture you pick the best practice would be to then in ensemble them to have several of them trained on different slices of the data yeah. and then it depends on if you need real-time detection and, 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 and like why is that why are like different why, why train several different types of data uh, i mean why i'm not sure but that's always i mean why i'm not sure but like with all the past like the netflix recommendation thing it's like ensembles mm -hmm. of models tend i mean they just they perform better i don't i don't know idea why but <laughs> that's, that's how it okay. is <laughs> i mean but w what was interesting is that you paused for a second and you were like for this specific problem so i guess I, i'd rephrase my question okay. to like just in the most general way for like for like say like a ResNet, a traditional like deep convolutional neural network and for an inception at what kind of problems are like they are like best suited for solving i'm not sure if this is totally correct but to me it seems like once you start yeah of course like it's from your experience yeah. from what you observe once you start to have a really large number of classes so like how imagenet mm -hmm. has like i don't know like a thousand classes Mm -hmm. I've seen like the way that they do like skin cancer detection is they structure the space like hierarchically. So it's like a tree. So mm -hmm. you predict like these types of high level cancers and then you would go to the leaf nodes and predict a more specific cancer. So it's like mm -hmm. when you have a lot of classes, you need to like, you need to think about how you're structuring your output space. And then it's just such a complex problem that I think that this is when you really need to use the state of the art for, for something like just image classification but that's that's just what i think i'm not sure if that's even correct and and, and like <laughs> what is and, uh, but, but like what is the state of the art uh, for you know solving those complex problems i guess for image classification I'm, i bet it's something like the neural architecture search layer paired with the auto augment data augmentation and then maybe you know, obviously like trained on ImageNet and then probably transferred to some other task I'd imagine would work. Although I've read studies that say that that doesn't actually make it perform better. It just makes it converge faster. So it's, it's mm. more so that it just speeds up. The, but then again, if it converges faster, now you can do like these surface level hyperparameter optimizations, which is going to make you find a better model. So yeah, I guess, yeah, I'd say that just things like that. I think once once AutoML and like meta learning can design the whole network, which I think is a very far off thing, that's mm -hmm. what's gonna that's what'll be the best convolutional network. The, yeah, like these the state of the art uh, thing. Uh, but I, but I guess yeah uh, yeah I, I guess like that sort of like mm, what's what's the most complex problem in like with deep learning maybe like with gans or with uh with you know just classification like convnets mm -hmm. uh, that you kind of you know took on and try to like solve with with maybe like uh, fellow researchers or just you know what what was like the hardest task that you took on uh probably just trying to figure i mean the hardest like to 
to define the task as hard would be like trying to make the GAN data work for data augmentation because it was so hard that it never worked. <laughs> That's how I would define it. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you mean like for augmenting the data for classifiers, like that thing that like didn't work, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but I guess maybe, maybe I should like rephrase, uh, what was the problem that was in the intersection of being both like hard and exciting uh, at like the same time? Because uh, like, cause like, cause like if it's hard, I, I guess like we've all been there like solving something that's just right. crazy and... Not that, not that, not that fun. Just rigorous or you know tedious. I mean, most of what I've looked into might not be super interesting to like software developers who are very like application focused because I, I look mm -hmm. into just like trying to make it work in a, in some problem I find interesting. But like mm -hmm. two things that I've looked into are super resolution CNNs, where you try to take like a thirty two by thirty two and upsample it to like. 128 and that's fascinating like i'd say that was interesting mm -hmm. and then another thing would be and and did it work uh did it like yeah were able to produce some results yeah it did work yeah. especially if when you add the adversarial loss from the gan to it it's it's actually really mm. cool to see that they, they have like yeah i'm not sure if these website these web apps where you can go super resolve your picture actually uses like mm -hmm. gans and deep learning but it would work. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. yeah. You mean like we could literally like say take uh, like your face that I see on, on my screen like in a hundred by hundred pixels. Or I guess like in your case it was like thirty. So we could take like a nest image that was like pretty close, like twenty by twenty. Right. And we could like upsample it to uh, thirty-four or like what was it? Like with a hundred and twenty. Well, what I did is I just scraped images from the web. Like okay. sneaker images, just because it was fun, I guess. <laughs> just mm -hmm. arbitrarily chosen, really. Yeah, yeah, and then, so one other thing I looked at was um, trying to do sentiment classification from images, because like mm -hmm. sentiment classification in text works really well. And so it mm -hmm. was curious to see, like, does it work for images as well? Like, it's like if I show you like a bloody picture of like some horror movies, this is highly negative. Mm -hmm. And then it's like if I show you like a mm -hmm. puppy, is highly positive. So to see yeah. if the CNN can learn that kind of feature is that was something that I worked on that in, ended up getting around like 81% accuracy on like 15,000 images. And that was something that I thought was super interesting because it's not, it's not just learning like ears and, and nose, mm -hmm. you know, it's learning like what's happening in the picture sort of to some yeah, It's like the feel, like it's almost like that uh, trying to... Uh, I guess I guess the data was label, labeled. It was kind of trying to like, like uh, replicate that human feel of uh, how would you know a human right. being classify an image. Uh, so we've hit forty five minutes. Uh, do you have uh, some time to keep going, or should well, we wrap yeah, up? I'm here? sorry, I was just about to mention that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'll, I hope. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, man. It's been lots of fun. Really, really glad we uh, do. You want to like say some like final words here? some, you know, words into the, uh, internet. <laughs> uh, like, thanks for listening to me talk on the show. Uh, I hope that you come and check out Henry AI Labs and see some of my YouTube videos. I hope to be back on this at some point and hope to see that this yes. grow and reach a bigger audience as more people like connect to try to understand deep learning and, you know, catch up with the research that's out there. 
Right, thank beautiful, you. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Right, bye.